We will be continuing our time together in Romans chapter 6. We will be, we will be concluding cha- Romans chapter 6 today, as I had mentioned last week, as uh, Paul continues um, to hit on the topic of sin. Um, we get some uh, much more clarity, uh, and Paul addresses another question in which we'll review and deal with um, in a few moments when we dive into our time together this morning. But one of the things that um, I want to continue to press upon us is, is these difficult questions, is these things that really begin to uh, make us process certain things, not only in our life physically, but also spiritually, and something that uh, I truly believe that we need to do on an ongoing basis, right? Um, we will be concluding this topic of sin because then Paul is going to transition into sanctification, going into Romans chapter 7, and uh, he will have a brief mention of this at the end of Romans chapter 6. Um, we will see that uh, when we get to it, but one of the things that <clears throat> I want us to continue to, to really uh, not only ponder, but to, to really think upon it and to, to really process um, about each and every one of our own lives and our own encounters and our own uh, processing of God's Word, our own receiving of God's Word, our own dealing with of God's Word is, do we compromise? Do we compromise? Another thing that we can look at and ask, do we manipulate? Now, that's a very strong term. Some of us may even be offended by that word manipulate, but it's something that we do quite frequently. And in the reference or in the context of, do we manipulate God's word? Do we manipulate God's word? Do we compromise God's word? I would even uh, be able to debate or even give a very strong argument that manipulate or compromise of God's word is one within the same. When we take God's word and we don't take it for what it is and we take it for what we want it to be to make it somewhat less offensive, less, um, I guess, easier for one to receive uh, or more palatable, so to speak, we do a disservice to the scriptures. One of the things that we see time and time again, and we can really look at Jesus's interaction with those of the church and those outside of the church, is how he approaches those from those two different angles. But we know that Jesus never compromised the word of God. He met people where they were, but then as he met them where they were, he gave them the same truth through and through. So my question for us today is, do we compromise? Do we manipulate? Do we take God's word for what it truly is? This is at the very heart, the very foundation of our faith. I know I've said it before, and I will say it again now, and I will even mention it um, as we approach our passage this morning, diving into the first verse, verse 15, here in a few minutes. But one of the things that we need to make sure we don't do is manipulate or compromise or water down or negate or take out 
parts of God's word. One of the things that I had mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but a half-truth is a full lie. Remember I mentioned one of the children's books that my, we read to our kids and we still have, and we've actually given multiple uh, copies of some of these different children's books to um, friends and families um, that we know uh, by Francis Chan as Halfway Herbert. Uh, and a half, it really teaches about doing things halfway, and everything's halfway, and everything's halfway, and it's never uh, the full thing, right? I'm not going to give away the book. I encourage you all to read it. Some of you may enjoy it. Uh, but understanding this is that a half-truth is a full lie. I don't know if you remember, but I had asked a question a few weeks ago. Is it okay for us to, to have this understanding and when we approach certain things? Is it okay to say uh, it is better to ask for forgiveness later than it is to ask for permission now? A lot of times we have that mentality. It's like, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do and I'll just ask for forgiveness later because I want to do what I want to do now. Um, I, I don't want the person to say no to me, and uh, we push forward. And one of the things that we do with the Word of God is that simple thing. God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. Now, it's one thing to say that when uh, we realized we've sinned, and we are understanding the grace of God, and we're going to be talking about that quite extensively this morning but it's another to actually have that mentality and have that processing, that logic within us before we do something. I hope we can understand the difference. But when we do that, when we process that, when we have that logic, we have that filter, we have that mentality, we begin to realize we are manipulating, we are watering down, we are changing the Word of God. We don't take it for all that it is. One of the things that I've mentioned in the past before is, you know, we need to make sure that we have a biblical worldview and we view everything in the world through God's word. God's word is not a buffet for us to get off our seat and approach, right? Approach the buffet line and just pick and choose what we like. You get all of it. Now, uh, I'm not trying to water down God's word. I'm trying to simply give an illustration that one we can relate to. And I know you probably think, well, Pastor Raph, you love food, so you love to give food illustrations. Yes, that's very true. My physique is no secret to that liking. But with the understanding of this, we do not approach God wor God's word as a buffet of something we can just come and pick and choose of what we like. Ooh, I like this. This is really good. This is really good. Oh, here's the sweet stuff over here. You take all of it. You don't get to pick and choose. If we find ourselves picking and choosing, we can then understand or have a red flag pop up within our conscience, within our processing, our logic, that we are manipulating God's word. So my question continues to press upon you this. Do we compromise God's word? 
Do you manipulate God's word? Do you water down the word of God? Now you might be asking, what does this have to do with sin? And uh, some of you may already know, and some of you may um, know exactly where I'm going, but it has everything to do with sin and has everything to do with what we were going to be looking at and concluding Romans chapter 6 this morning. Because a lot of what we do and the choices and decisions we make comes from a process, comes from our logic, or comes from our emotion that we have from within. The thing is, is God's word should dwell in us deeply and flow through us deeply, ultimately defining us deeply. Hope our time together this morning, my prayer is that our time together this morning, that these last words, so to speak, on the topic of sin, on this subject of sin, are not only convicting to us, but uplift us and encourage us, not only for our own personal and spiritual lives, but also for our impact on the lives of others. For Paul goes out of his way, Paul goes to great lengths to explain the doctrine of sin, to explain and to, um, in a sense, rebuke some of these false beliefs and understandings that are within the church. We have to remind ourselves, Paul is not going out and addressing just random non-believers in Rome. This is to the church. And it's for a reason and a purpose. So let's get into our text. But before we start, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. May our time together not only lift us up and edify us, Lord, but convict us. And may our time together honor you above all things. Be with us during this time, Lord. Use your word and the Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So up to this point, we have gone through, obviously, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We only looked at three verses last week. We are taking a bigger chunk this week. I will um, take uh, smaller and larger sections um, all uh, throughout our time together this morning. But one of the things we must see is, um, or be reminded of, if you listened to the sermon last week, or if you have not, is the topic of being slaves to sin. Paul's going to continue that, but he's going to answer another question, okay? Very similar to the question in the beginning of Romans 6, verse 1. I'll get to that momentarily, but we see in Romans 6, verse 14, this statement by Paul, okay? And it's very, it's very necessary for us to have this refreshed into our minds, right? As we approach verse 15, for sin will have, no, will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. It's understanding that we are no longer, if you are a true believer, we are no longer slaves to sin, but what? Slaves to righteousness. Paul's going to dive even deeper into that by trying to answer this other um, 
question, so to speak, right? This false doctrine, this false understanding of true grace and what sin is and what sin is not, but understanding for his complete entirely of understanding this, okay? You are no longer slaves to sin, okay? Because you're not under law, you're under grace, okay? And we've gone through that quite extensively, and we're going to go through it even more. Some of it will be overlap. Some of it will be a reminder. Some of it will be uh, uh, repetitious to you, okay? But that's good. It's necessary. If it wasn't, we wouldn't see it repeated over and over and over in Scripture with many different topics and different writers. But we must understand this true understanding if we have been what? We've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We now are part of the family. We are now with him. We are now been what? Justified. We are now righteous. We understand that positionally God sees us what? Through Jesus Christ. Then we need to live by and we need to understand these things. Now, if we remember, but the transition from Paul really dealing with the spiritual side of things and transitioning into the physical side of things, how we live, how we act, how we process, how we go about our decision making and our daily lives is knowing this. We are no longer slaves to sin. You have a way out. You are no longer under the subjection of sin. Sin is no longer your master. There's no excuse for us to say, oh, I'm just it's sin's fault. It's Satan's fault. There's, there's, that is not an acceptable statement that should come from any Christian's mouth. But we have a choice. We've seen that in Scripture. We're going to see it even more in our passage this morning. Before I go any further, let me go ahead and jump into our text this morning. I'm going to read verse 15 through 23, and then we'll jump into our time um, breaking down this passage with verse 15. Um, But let me go ahead and read our uh, text this morning. Verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit 
you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now here in verse 15, we see another question. It's uh, very similar um, to what? Verse 1 of chapter 6. We can go back there. I'm going to read it for you, but you can go back there if you want to look at it with me. It says, what shall we say then? Okay. Verse 15 starts out, what then? Okay. So verse 6, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 1 out of chapter 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay. So that question there is, okay, wait a second. If we're no longer under the law, but, and, and when we were put under the law, we saw that sin, sin increased. So because sin increased, so did grace abound. Grace increased as well. So their understanding is like, okay, well, the more sin, the more grace. And grace is a good thing from God. So then let me go get more grace. Let me create more grace by sinning more. This was the mentality. This was the understanding. This is how we started out Romans chapter 6. We went through that. We understood that. And we see why Paul said very immediately, very quickly in verse 2, by no means. This is a false understanding. This is a manipulation of God's word. This is a manipulation of the understanding of not only the doctrine of sin, but the doctrine of grace and a true understanding of one's salvation and justification and righteousness. So we see a whole chapter dedicated to that. Um, Paul does hit it off and on throughout Romans, but he, he, he dedicated this whole chapter to understanding this question. So then over here in verse 15, we see another question. It's almost a, 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 a 2.0 version of verse 1, okay? And so the question comes out to, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? So you can, you can think or imagine for there's some individuals in the church and they're like, okay, well, you're saying I can't just go sin because uh, that doesn't necessarily mean grace is going to increase and that I shouldn't sin. I don't belong to sin and, and I belong to Jesus and this and that. But, um, well, that raises another question, Paul. Uh, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. So... If I'm under grace, and you've explained that to me, Paul, it's undeserved favor. It's favor I'm going to continue to get, right? God's grace, God's mercy. Because I'm a believer, you've told me that my sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. So then because of that, then what's the point? And I can just imagine Paul's frustration with them because it's like, man, I've explained it to you over and over again. And it always reminds me of this encounter. And, I, and I'm not going to turn us there because I, if I get into that, I'm going I'm to go far off and then the sermon's going to be much longer than it really needs to be. But it reminds me of this encounter when Jesus was with the, this crowd and they were asking him questions and, and he was explaining it to them and explaining it to them and he was presenting the gospel and, and they just were not getting it. And you can just, when you really study that passage, you can really sense the frustration that Jesus is having with the crowd. Right? These scribes, these Pharisees. 
His disciples are there as well. And he says this. He's like, you know what? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And what did they say to him? What? It's like this, this teaching is too hard for us to understand. We, this is too much. We don't, it doesn't make sense. It's like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple. And they said, this is too hard to follow. And they all left. Then what did Jesus do? He turned to his disciples and said, you're going to leave too? And they said, who else are we going to follow? You're the Lord. See, one of the things that we have to understand as we go through life, right? And I mean life in a, in a spiritual term or reference as directed to Christians, right? Because Paul's talking to the church in Rome, all the churches in Rome, okay? We will have frustrations. We will have times where we just don't get it. We just don't get it. And we can begin to process in our minds like, man, is Christianity really true? Is it really this? Is it really, man, this is hard. I don't understand. Why isn't the church this way? Why isn't the church that way? Why isn't the pastor skinnier? Why doesn't he look better? Why does he wear those clothes? We can have all these things, right? No matter how ridiculous we, we, we think they are not or they think, we think they might be, but we can think of all these different things, right? And we're no different than those scribes and those Pharisees in the passage that I just kind of gave my commentary on that I explained is like, oh, this is just too hard. This is too hard. So we can either be like the scribes and Pharisees and just leave and walk off. And some of us do that. We don't necessarily turn our back on the faith, but we turn our back on the church. I don't need to go to church. I don't, I don't need a fellowship. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. I, I don't need to. Are we getting a sense of what? Of what we're seeing here in verse 15? Or we can be like the disciples. Hey, Jesus, yeah, we don't really get it. Drink of your blood, eat of your flesh, but who else are we going to follow? I might not get this, but my faith is in you. It's not in my understanding of things. And this is where we really begin to fail as Christians. We think for some reason our faith, our spiritual journey and maturity is based on our logic and our emotion, and it's not. It's based on our faith in Jesus Christ and our submission and commitment and belonging to God the Father. That's what it is. When we begin to come and we have begin to process just like we see in 15, see, here's the thing. We manipulate and water down, right, and compromise God's word. We can't do that. But why do we do it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not sitting here just trying to lecture everyone. I'm sitting here 
teaching God's word as it's presented. And this is just as much for me as it is for every one of us. I am not excluded from this by any means. But why do we do this? Why, why do we find ourselves compromising and doing these things and it's like, you know what, that's too hard. Or I don't understand that. Or you know what, I don't like that. God, you don't understand the way the culture is right now. I'm going to lose friends if I say this. You know what? There's so much that Jesus said throughout the Gospels that is so relevant today. Everything from, you know what? If they hate you, remember they hated me first. You know what? Have you resisted sin to the point of shedding blood? I've shed my blood for your sin. Or to the point of understanding, you know what? Unless you hate your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, your friends, and love me, you can't be my disciple. Do you water down God's word? Do you manipulate God's word? Do we try to, 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 shape, to, to shape it into something that's more palatable, that can fit into our pocket, and we can actually walk around with it, and it's comfortable? See, the thing is, is I, I, I truly believe this is at one of, the, one of the more bigger issues within churches in our westernized Christianity here in the United States that we deal with is this very thing because of what's going on in society today. I know I've talked about it before, but I believe that we need to continue to ask ourselves these hard questions. Why do we find it so easy to manipulate God's word? Or why do we not have a problem with others manipulating God's word? Or do we even know when God's word is being manipulated? This is something we need to ask ourselves. This is something that we need to begin to have as part of our processing as believers, as part of our filter as Christians. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to address everything that's in here in this passage, but uh, there's a reason why Paul keeps bringing up these questions. Because there's a problem in the church. So Paul's addressing it. We're not going to skirt around it. We are not going to skim over it. We are going to look at it for what it is and how it's so relevant for us today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I don't I don't think I have this up there. I apologize. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, whoever relaxes, who waters down, who leaves out some or part of or changes, right, 
Some of these, the least of these commands, even the smallest command that is given in Scripture, whoever changes it, right, leaves it out, waters it down, half-truths it, right, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Why do you think what comes from the pulpit, what is taught, not only on Sundays, but also in Bible studies, there are so many clubs, so many groups, so many so-called Christian organizations out there that are putting people in place that should not be teaching the Scriptures. It should not be happening. Now, I can't go around or any other person go around and it's like, oh, Christian teaching police. Show me your credentials, right? Show me your papers. It's not my job to do that. My job is to be faithful, to teach you the truth, to be faithful in that. Exactly what Jesus is teaching here. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And knowing that this, he's like, I will hold them accountable. Just like he says here, they will be the least in the kingdom. Uh, that's if they make it to the kingdom, because there's another one that's coming up where he says, you know what? I don't know you. Away from me, you evildoers. How convicting is that? Why do, why do so many stay away from the hard teachings of Jesus himself? It makes no sense to me especially in the times that we're living today and the times that we're living now, why do we skirt around? Why do we uh, eliminate? Why do we even just turn a blind eye to these things? It makes no sense. Right now, it's time for us to be more like Christ than anything. Thing is, we're trying to be more like the world, and that's not what we're called to be. So we must understand and see what Jesus is saying here. So they will be the last of the kingdom in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I, I'm staying true to God's word. I try to do the best that I possibly can to bring you the truth in its completely raw form, unmanipulated by human, right, by mankind, as best that I possibly can. And I can sit here and say, well, it's for selfish reasons because this verse right here, it says, ah, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven, right? Ah, then I, you know, I get a big head and I'm gonna get prideful and I'm, I'm gonna be great in the kingdom of heaven because I'm, you know, err, right? But that's not the case at all. It's more about how are we being good stewards of what God's given us, right? And as a pastor, as a shepherd, this is the convictions that I live by. But I'm not excluded. I'm not excluded at all. Don't get that confused, okay? But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is a, a, a jab at the, right, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, okay? And who are the Pharisees and the scribes? They're the religious people of the time. 
Jesus was so hard on them. This is one of the things that we need to understand. We need to see that, you know what? God's word needs to be brought in its raw form. Don't shelter people from it. Don't filter people from it. Yes, we need to not be on street corners with these signs saying, you know, you're going to hell and all these things. I, I, I do not agree with that whatsoever. I've talked with individuals who do that. Um, I, I, that's not being a good steward of God's word, in my opinion. That's not the approach. That's not the loving approach that we see that Jesus had. Does Jesus tell people they'll never enter the kingdom of heaven? Absolutely, he does. He tells stories about it. Thing is, we need to truly understand that we need to stay true to God's word. And why do I insert this in this? Because it's absolutely necessary. Because we see Paul and still dealing with these questions of manipulating of God's word. By who? By the people in the church. <coughs> Excuse me. So, going back to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, we see that he's dealt with this question, right? And we need to kind of see how they overlap. So we go from, shall we keep on sinning so that grace can increase, to what? Verse 15, oh, well, we, are we to sin because we're not under the law, we're under grace? So we, we can just sin, right? Because we're just going to keep being forgiven. I hope through this we see the manipulation of God's word taking place and how Paul is addressing it. Now, this is a second similar question, as I mentioned before, and being under, under grace and what that means and what that looks like. But this is what is called an abuse of grace. It's an abuse of grace. We're abusing God's grace when we choose to sin. Now, Paul uses much harder words. We're going to get to that in a moment. But it's an abuse of God's grace. If you manipulate God's word, you're abusing his grace. You water down his word, you're abusing his grace. It's as simple as that. Well, Pastor Raph, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. We see in God's word over and over and over again, this is a sin, don't do this, don't do that. This is a sin, don't do this, don't do that. And if we have the mentality that this is, oh, this is so hard, being a Christian is so hard, and it's like, you know what? You're right, it's hard, but it should be a what? A joy. Should be a joy. Pastor Raph, it's not a joy. Then check your spiritual maturity or your spiritual health. Why? Because Paul's going to explain that to us right now. Our desire should be of that of God. Not of the world. We need to begin to apply that to ourselves. Why? Because it's an abuse of grace. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. Because I want to. Oh, you're a Christian. You have to do this. It's like, I don't have to do that. You don't? No. Well, doesn't your faith say, well, yeah, but I choose to do it because I want to. Because I love God. 
I don't, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that more later. But this question mistakenly assumes here in verse 15 that if we are not under the law, it does not really matter if we sin. And I've met so many people who have talked about this, who've asked about this. Pastor Rapp, if I'm saved, am I, I'm secure, my eternity is secure in heaven, then I can just do whatever I want. And then I would tell him, I was like, well, if you truly believe that, then you might not be saved. Well, what do you mean? I was like, then how do you understand being a new creation, being a new person, having a new heart, hey, renewing your mind? How do you explain that? You can't just say, up, oh, I punched my ticket. I'm good to go. Now I keep business as usual. not how it works we must understand this that grace is does not free us to do anything we want it does not provide the opportunity uh, to live apart from all restrictions okay again freedom does not mean we can just go and do whatever we want what freedom means is that we are to be set free from the bondage of sin in order to live in a way that what? Reflects the nature and character of who? Of God. This is where we struggle. Okay? How long have you lived the way you lived? Your nature, your character, in the flesh, in sin, in the world. Enter Jesus. There's that struggle. What are you going to feed more, the old self or the new creation? That's part of the transforming and renewing. That's part of the metamorphosis. That part, that's part of the transformation that takes place is what we, we know right beyond salvation is called sanctification. Paul mentions that at the end of this passage, and then he starts jumping into all of chapter 7 about sanctification. I won't get ahead of myself. But understanding this, we must understand that we are called to reflect the nature and character of God and not this world, not other people, not social media, not our job, not our success, not this, not that. None of those things. We are to reflect the character and nature of God. We need to be a reflection of Christ to others. Okay? Now, no, don't take this the wrong way because I've... I've heard responses and questions from people taking this the wrong way when I've taught on this in the past. Well, Pastor Raph, we're all to look the same, talk the same. No, 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 that's not what that means. Be who you are in Christ. Okay? Be who you are in Christ. Not be you, do you, do what you want, whatever you feel, whatever you think. No, be you in Christ. God made you who you are, but as you entered into the world, you entered into a sinful, right? Creation, flesh, desire. We talked about that before, about the old man, the old self. It's essentially, as we can, as believers, as we leave, 
We do away with the old self. We continue to carry that corpse behind us as we don't, as we, um, we choose to not deal with the sin in our life of our old self. But we need to ex- make sure that we are what? No longer stuck, caught up in part of this bondage of sin so that we can ultimately reflect the nature and character of God. Um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. <clears throat> Don't worry, we'll be moving along a little quicker here in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. So some people have taken this passage out of context. I'm going to keep going. And the thing is, people just say, oh, you need to become all things to all people so that some may know God, right? So they may, some may hear the gospel. And I've seen people go to the extent of, of using drugs and alcohol, right, to do this, okay? Completely taking out, taking God's word out of context, okay? Let's continue on. To win those under law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he clarifies there. Yeah, I go into these people to reach people, whether they're in the church or outside of the church, right? But I don't violate God's law. I'm still under Christ. I'm still under God. That's not thrown out the window so I can go do these things. I can't manipulate God's word. I can't water down God's word. I can't change God's word in order to go save people. It doesn't work that way. That's a contradiction, okay? Um, To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law, okay? He continues on, verse 22, to the weak I became weak, right? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I might, by all means, I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings, right? So it's purpose and stuff, but we have to really understand what Paul is saying. He tries to meet people where they are. But when he does that, he never compromises the word of God. So with that being understood, Paul continues to deal with these questions and deal with those that are having issues within the church or the church is in Rome. Let's move on. We're going to take verses 16, 17, and 18 now and walk through those all together. Verse 16. So after he says, by no means, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, 
have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So there's a lot there. We're going to kind of slowly walk through this to a certain extent, but it's all going to kind of be together. Um, It is a simple fact of life that when we submit ourselves to someone, right, as our master, we are that person's slave, okay? I'm going to be more specific as we hear in a moment, but if we sell out to sin, if we give in to sin, we become slaves to sin and what? Eternal death. We covered a lot of this last week, and there will be some overlap, but I'm not going to elaborate too much. Um, But we also need to know that if we choose to obey God, the result is a holy life. It's not salvation, okay, because salvation has already taken place, and the the, uh, byproduct of salvation should be a what? Submission to God, to obey God. And then the result of that obedience is a holy life, right? Be holy as I am holy, the Lord says. But being slaves to righteousness binds us as God's servants, and we are free, okay? Now, everyone is a slave to one or the other. That's a simple fact. You are a slave to either sin or righteousness, okay? Now, if you're a true believer, then you are a slave to righteousness. What does that simply mean? That God is your master. Now, that does not mean you are uh, no longer susceptible to sin, but it just means you should not be. You should not be. And that's the question we have to continue to ask ourselves as well. Who and whom do I submit to? Who do I submit to? Now, forgive me, I'm a bit of a, of a Avengers Marvel junkie, so to speak. And I always, uh, the scene always comes to mind um, to where Doctor Strange and Peter Quill meet and have this encounter. And he goes, and whom do you serve? right? Who's your master? He's like, what, am I supposed to say Jesus, right? And he goes, you're from earth? And uh, it's that little encounter um, that, you know, in the same way, we need to ask ourselves that question. Who do you serve? Who do you submit to? Who's your master, right? What if we started greeting people that way? Hi, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. Hi, my name's, my name's Raphael. Who do you serve? That'd be kind of weird. I, I serve Jesus Christ, the one and true God. Who do you serve? People might not want to greet me anymore. I don't know. But as believers... We almost need to greet ourselves that way. Wake up each morning that way. Who am I going to choose to serve today? 
well, Pastor Raph, if I'm a believer, then I'm a slave to righteousness. I, I, my master is God and, and this and that. As I, know, I understand that, but we have a choice. We choose, right? We see that here in these verse 16, 17, and 18. We need to thank God that you are, that we are slaves to righteousness, that we belong to God and are obedient, what? From the heart. It's very interesting, the wording here, okay? We need to pay close attention to that because what you obey is what you love, and what you love, you serve, and what you, what? What you love, you serve, but you cannot, what? You cannot serve two masters. So it's hard. We can't get up and say, uh, God, I'm going to serve you today and hope that I don't do these other things. It's like if that's our understanding, then we've already failed. We've already lost the mental battle, the battle from within. We need to have more confidence in that, not confidence in ourselves. By no means. Confidence in what Jesus has done on the cross. Confidence in the promises of what God has given us because of Jesus. This is the confidence in which we need to have. The problem is, is we always try to have confidence in ourselves. We think about that as like, okay, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to be tempted, and I'm not, and it's all about ourselves, and it's all about what we can do and what we can accomplish and our own strength, and then what happens? We fail, and we fail, and we fail, and we fail. This isn't an abuse of grace. This is just a misunderstanding in where we're placing our confidence and where we're placing our faith. We don't realize and understand that we're placing our confidence and faith in ourselves. And essentially, it's just a misunderstanding or a misplaced faith in a sense, not in a faith of salvation, but a faith in where we need to put our confidence in, in our battle against sin. We cannot serve two masters. This is a reference to Matthew 6, verse 24. You cannot serve two masters. You can't. Scripture says you can't serve both God and money, right? What does it say before that? Money is the root of all kinds of evil, okay? It's not necessarily the root of all evil. The root of all evil is what? Sin, okay? We have to understand this. It's more of a general principle of understanding that we cannot serve two masters, two gods. Cannot do it. You choose one or the other, okay? It's not, God, I'm going to serve you on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm going to serve myself. Well, you know what, God? I'm going to give you, there's seven days in a week, so I'm going to give you four of those seven days so then it outweighs me serving myself. It doesn't work like that. It's a manipulation of Scripture. That's a watering down, right? We cannot do that. Sin is not simply something that we cannot help doing. Okay? It's something we choose to do. Okay? And, it, it, and when we choose to do it, it's basically an indirect violation of the will of God. We choose to sin. It's simple as that. We choose to sin. You have a choice. Well, Pastor Raph, they told me to do that. Okay. You chose to do it. You had a choice. Don't get me wrong, there's some situations that are more gray than anything, but I think you understand the general principle. We, not, we cannot serve two masters. 
we make a choice. The righteousness to which obedience leads is the righteousness of personal growth and spiritual maturity. And the true Christian, you know, true Christian obedience is never coerced. It's always voluntary. That's why I tell people, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Don't come to serve the church with a bad attitude. It's one of the worst things that I've ever done in serving the church. In the, man, it's almost 20 years now since I've been serving the church. Worst things I've ever done show up with a bad attitude. How's that service? I don't like it when people try to force me into something. I've gone toe-to-toe with many elders and pastors about um, them saying, oh, well, you know what? Uh, As a pastor, you should do this and you should do that. And there's certain things like, wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, That's not how it works. I don't want to get into that. It's a whole other realm of things. But even, you know, well, your your wife, she's a pastor's wife now, and she has to, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That's not how it works. You don't force people to do these things. You can't coerce people to do these things. That's a much higher level. I understand that there's certain expectations from pastors and pastors' wives, but let's lower it down to where, okay, just a general body of Christ, right? No one should have to coerce you. Please sign up. Please sign up. Please serve the church. Please give to the church. Please, please, please. You shouldn't have to ask. To be completely honest with everyone, not only here, but those that are listening, the church should not have to ask for you to serve. The church should not have to ask for you to give. The church should not have to ask for you to show up to Bible studies, to, to worship, to these. The church shouldn't have to ask. It should be something that's within you, a desire that you have, a loving desire to want to come and worship the God, your creator. should not be coerced. I should not have to dangle a carrot in front of people. Should not have to make it warm and fuzzy or sugar coated. By no means. This is not the way. It should be a desire deep inside each and every one of us. Why? Because that's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's called being transformed and renewed. That's called being a new creation and a new being in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is trying to help us understand. Look, why are you even asking this question? You shouldn't want to sin anymore. Why would you want to abuse God's grace? How beautiful that is. How amazing and loving that is. Why is this even something we're discussing? He's going to get to that explanation in just a moment, but we must understand that the freedom brought by grace does not provide us a reason to continue to sin it places the believer under obligation to holiness and growth and righteousness nothing that we need to be coerced and we need to be tricked and we need to have a, a bait and switch it, it it i used to have this mentality so i know it very very well and this is why it it bothers me so much when I talk with, with people who are believers. You know, I'm tired of the church asking for stuff. And I usually tell them, I go, you know what? I'm tired of it too. They're like, really? You're a pastor. You're tired of it too? It's like, yeah, we shouldn't have to ask you. They're like, whoa. 
That took a turn. Churches should not have to ask. Shouldn't. Shouldn't have to ask. It's that simple. We make the church aware of things. And as, we, as I mentioned in the announcements, make the church aware of needs. Hey, we need people to serve here. And there's people that's like, well, unless they come and ask me personally, I'm going to do it. I don't want your pride in that ministry anyways. That's what it is. Well, I'm too good to do that. Oh, really? Let's talk about that for a moment. The church should not have to ask. Shouldn't. Why? Because it's not for the church. Did you hear me say that right? It's not for the church. Who's it for? It's for God. Do everything as if you're doing it unto yourself. No. To the Lord. It's not about you. That doesn't mean our attitude's always going to be great. But I can have joy in it because I know I'm doing it for God. It's like, man, I'm so tired. I don't want to be here. You know how many times Sunday morning I'm like, man, I am tired. I don't want to preach, but I need to. There's been times I've been out of state and flown back and gotten home at 2, 3 in the morning only to get up the next morning to go preach. Why? Not because I, I need a pat on the back. Not because I'm some special person. Not because I can out of my own this or that, but because it should be a joy to want to come and preach God's word. No one has to coach me up and try to push me and try to this and that. Yeah, I need encouragement just as much as anybody else, but this is something that we all should have an understanding is, wow, I should have a desire from within. I shouldn't abuse God's grace. I shouldn't squander these things. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Is this convicting? I hope it's convicting, okay? Because I feel it's getting warm in here and I have the air conditioning on, so it's like, oh, okay, it's just, you know, it's a message, right? It's getting steamy. It's good. Amen, Pastor Raph. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. <clears throat> For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Verse 27 but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy and the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenants by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Hmm. I love to keep going because the next uh, verse or two talks about God saying the vengeance is mine, right? And I always say God's the original avenger, okay? Uh, but here it's just saying we're squandering the gospel. We're abusing the grace of God. 
We can't do it. We must be obedient from the heart. Obedient to what? Obedient to the standard of teaching. What does it mean by standard? Now I'm going back to to, um, what we looked at in Romans 6. The standard of teaching is the truth of the word of God. Okay? The truth of the word of God. Before we move on to verse 19, it says, verse 16, to anyone who is obedient as slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay? Verse 17. But thanks be to God, okay? Not to ourselves, not to anyone else, to God, that you who were once slaves to sin, so the assumption is, is that you're a believer, okay? You're slaves to righteousness, okay? Have become obedient. So the assumption is you're no longer slaves to sin. So if you're no longer slaves to sin, then you become obedient to what? Okay? Obedient from the heart, from within. Okay? Obedience is the action. Okay? From within is that renewed heart, the new being, new creation, right? Remember, head, heart, walk. Okay? From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Okay? committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. It's like, wow, why am I obedient? Why am I slaves to righteousness? Because you realize the price that has been paid and what you've been forgiven from, what you've been set free from. Wow. Do you really look at God as if he is the hero of your life, as if he saved your life from imminent death? If you are in a burning car and you are stuck, and at the last moment, almost like a movie setting, right? At the last moment, somebody rushes in and cuts your seatbelt and rips the door off and saves your life, how grateful would you be? When's the last time we were that grateful for what God has done for us? As Paul's going to say here, that's just using human terms for us to try to understand a glimpse of how much God loves us, a glimpse of what God has done for us. Let's move on to verse 19. It says this, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here, Paul is simply saying that in using the simile of slaves and master, he is speaking in human terms. He is using a familiar illustration from everyday life. And this is for a particular reason. It's basically because of their intellectual and spiritual difficulty in understanding the truth, okay? They're having a hard time understanding Paul's telling them. Either they're really clinging to the old self, to that dead corpse, right, and they can't let go, or they have a a spiritual and mental roadblock that Paul is trying to help them get through or get over, right? And... I don't know if, I'm sure a lot of us can relate to this, but have you ever had a conversation with someone, you're trying to help them understand something, and they just have this mental block, 
and you're like trying to break through that wall and it's like, oh, I broke through the brick of that wall just to see a steel door on the other side. It's like, I can't get through it, right? And um, some of you have far more patience than I do uh, in some of these areas and I admire that. Uh, but I'm sure we all can relate to, to having some of these discussions with individuals where we just, man, we're like, they're so hard-headed. And a lot of times it's not necessarily having a hard head. It's just they process things differently. And the way we're explaining it to them, it, it's not connecting the dots, okay? Um, and so Paul's like, look, I'm breaking it down for you so simply because you have this difficulty, right? Paul's trying and trying and trying to get through to them, Okay. And he's taking this approach, right? Now, Paul now uses the word members, and we saw this last week, okay? And he said there's, um, and the Greek word for the word members used uh, in our passage last week and this week is that it's almost like a military, right, type word. Um, could be uh, members, your tools, your weapons, okay, in a sense. But basically, uh, our limbs of the body, right? All parts of our physical bodies, right, um, is, is basically the reference here, but in which uh, we need to truly understand that all of us physically should be dedicated to righteousness and not be giving in to sin. So how do you use your time, your treasure, your talents, do you use them for sin or righteousness? Because here Paul is saying, look, all of your members should be not only committed to, not only be submitted to, not only be what? Slaves to righteousness, but also presented to God as clean. As clean, right? And it says that here, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, right, leading to sanctification. And there's that word sanctification, and I'm not going to dig into that now. I apologize if you have questions on that because we're going to be diving into it next week, okay? But how are we using these things? How are we using the things that God's given us? How are we using our, our physically, our body, and what we do day to day in glory to God? Let's move on to verse 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you, were, you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Now, it's very clear here, okay? If you're a slave to sin, you're free from righteousness, okay? You ever had a non-believer say, how can you do that? Or how can you think that? Or how can you just, you know, that not bother you? Right? Well, you're not a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. But those who are slaves to sin are completely free from righteousness. It's like the conscience within them continues to get more and more calloused, right? They become more and more numb each time they do it. We talked about that um, in the past. Uh, I don't, I think it was quite a while ago, but understanding that, look, you were once slave to sin. You were free from righteousness. You didn't have to worry about that. That wasn't part of anything that you really sought out after, okay? 
That wasn't a way of life. That wasn't a part of your life. That wasn't even a way of thinking, according to Scripture, right? But if you are slave to righteousness, then you're free from sin, okay? Went over that. You should know that. That's part of our thinking, right? Our understanding of this, at least it should be. Um, But is that reflective in our own lives? Paul points that out. A slave to sin produces only bad fruit or no fruit at all. You're tied, you're strapped into an eternal death, right? We see that. Because he's like, during that time, you're free from righteousness. What type of fruit were you producing? Were you producing any fruit at all? No, nothing. It was all for nothing. It's all frivolous. It's worthless. It's nothing. Everything you did as under sin is nothing. Produces absolutely nothing. Paul points out that as being a slave to that, that bad fruit, okay, we need to see it's all attached to the same thing. But we need to remember that freedom is not a question of whether or not we would like to serve, but the choice of which master we will serve, we choose to serve. Christians who enter, who entertain sin find themselves in an ethical tug of war that they are bound to lose. A lot of times Christians enter into this and understanding that, you know what, um, how close to that line I can get without sinning. I've been asked that question before. It's like, well, how much can I do, right, before it's considered a sin? And I said, you entertaining that thought ultimately will be a product or bear fruit of sin. It's not something or a way that we should think. I know it crosses our minds and we process it, but what I try to counsel people or point them to, when in doubt, throw it out, okay? Well, I'm not quite sure. Scripture isn't really clear. Well, if, if, you, if you're doubtful with it, then there's a check in your spirit, then that should tell you something. You know what? You should just avoid it, okay? You should just avoid it. Let me go back and reread verse 20 and 21 for a second before we move on. Um, it says for, <clears throat> excuse me, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Are you ashamed of it? That's another kind of check in our spirit we can look for when we came to Christ or as we began to to learn new things or have our sanctification process continue and grow spiritually, do we see, are we ashamed of the sin that what we did before? Do we hate sin? But see, here's the thing. We are not to dwell in that, in that disgust, right? We're not to dwell in being ashamed. It's a reminder of what? The grace of God that we've received. And as we are, it's like, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I lived that way. I can't believe I made those decisions. I can't believe I, 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 I acted and did things that way. And we have that as shame. But then we're reminded of what? The forgiveness that we've received, the grace that we've received. And that should be the encouraging thing. And that should be the thing that girds us up, that, that comes in and lifts us up. And it's like, wow, how much more do I love God now because of this? See, we shouldn't be coerced. It should be desire 
from within. For the end of those things is death, right? For the end of those things is death. You need to truly understand what Paul is saying here and saying, look, old self, old self, stop going back, stop going back. Dead corpse, okay? Don't keep dragging it along. Let it go, let it go. I know there's times we look back, there's times we reach back. Fight it. Stay in God, in Christ. Brings us to our last two verses, verses 22 and 23. It says, but now that you have been set free. So he's like, look, bad news, bad news, bad news. Here comes the good news. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, he's giving them what? The benefit of the doubt, okay? Now that you're a believer, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be asking these, these questions. Why? Because of these things here. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. We see it again. And its end, which is what? Eternal life, right? For the wages of sin is death. There's a reminder. But the free gift of God is eternal life in what? Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, an amazing articulation and explanation of the good news, of the gospel, of grace. Continue to deal with sin. It's in nature. What, a, what an amazing way to close this up, right? The reward for serving God is growth and holiness, the sanctification, eternal life. Slavery to righteousness leads to eternal fellowship with God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God gives you eternal life. But our service is made freely, willingly, enthusiastically, obediently. Why? We obey not because we are under bondage, but because of God's love for us and our love for God. This is one of the things, one of the reasons why we need to constantly be in prayer, to be in connection, discussion with God. It's not a, a lot of times we think prayer time is like this big formal thing. And it's like, you know what? I pray all the time. I can even be watching TV. It's like, you know, I, I need to pray and I'll just I'll even mute the TV or turn it off and pray. Um, or just while I'm driving by myself, pray every day throughout the whole day. And it, and it can be a prayer of nothing but repentance. A prayer of nothing of, but reaching out to God, asking for help. A prayer of nothing but, but uh, for others. A prayer of nothing but needs. A prayer of nothing but what? Lifting holy hands and praise to God, right? God, thank you so much for blessing me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a true display of God's grace that we can approach Him anytime, anywhere. 
in any situation. That is what we need to embrace and understand. That's why you shouldn't be forced to worship God. You shouldn't be forced to serve God. You shouldn't be forced to honor Him. You shouldn't be forced to give to Him. You shouldn't be forced to any of these things. Why? It all should be coming from within. Because you love him. Because you understand the price that has been paid, the sacrifice that has been made by him for you. Turn me to Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4. Starting verse 3. Don't worry, we're almost done. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into what? Our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose whose slaves you want to be once more? I'm going to close with this. I know I have another verse to, on the slides. I'm not going to get to it. Um, but do we truly see that as believers, true believers, that God instills within us not only the Holy Spirit, but the desire, and the desire to want to cry out to Him, Abba, Father, to want to turn to Him, that the desire within us should be stronger than a desire to want to turn back to the sinful ways in which we once lived. So I ask you again, when is it okay for Christians to sin? Well, let's not generalize it. Let's personalize it. When is it ever okay for you to choose to sin. When? Is it ever? When is it okay to say, God will forgive me before you do something? 
when is it ever okay for us to have that simple thought of, you know what, well, God will forgive me anyway before you choose to do something. Don't abuse, don't abuse God's grace. Don't abuse this wonderful and beautiful thing that we've been freely given because of the work of Christ. Because of what God has done, calling us, breaking us free out of the bondage of sin to be slaves to righteousness. May it be the desire of our heart and the ways of our lives. Choose righteousness over sin. Understand the price that has been paid and fall more in love with Jesus today than yesterday. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time together this morning. As Paul concludes this, this explanation, this doctrine, this uh, teaching on sin, may we see and truly believe because of you we are no longer slaves to the ways of this world. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Though you may get frustrated with us from time to time, you never give up, you never lose your love for us. It's never held back. Because we belong to you. May we embrace that and live it out in each and every one of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.